0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today. We've got another great program and a lot to cover, so uh, let's get right to it. Don't forget... ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. If you go there right now, you can sign up for the Daily Wink. What you need to know, the wink, what you need to know, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, 7 a.m. Central time, 8 a.m. East Coast time, and obviously 6 o'clock in Rocky Mountain time, you'll get the wink in your email email, uh, inbox, and it's just the basics of what you need to know from the day before, breaking that day, all every five days a week, Monday through Friday, go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there and see uh, what is uh, what you need to know. Appreciate it very much if you do that. Also, at Eglud Martin on Twitter, uh, feel free to share out, share things, and uh, and uh, pass them on, and follow me on Twitter. So, all right, <clears throat> first of all. NFL football opened last night. That's why we were preempted. So, uh, how'd it go? Well, I didn't watch it. I did see some pictures, some highlights. And, um, you know, I think, um, let's be clear. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and of course, I'm from say, I'm from Missouri for many years, 25 years. They're really good. And so that was exciting. So the pictures I saw, and I've been to that stadium, Arrowhead Stadium. It's a wonderful place to watch a football game. Uh, right next door on the same sort of parking lot is uh, Kauffman Stadium, the old Royal Stadium. And it was re- renovated about 10 years ago. It's a very cool stadium, too, to watch a ball game. Great place, Kansas City. And so it was great to see them open the season, Super Bowl champs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was kind of funny when I woke up this morning. I didn't watch it. I saw some highlights, I think. Maybe I saw the beginning... I guess I didn't see much. And I didn't see much coverage, but this morning I noticed national news trending was the fact that, oh my gosh, the Missouri football fans, they said, are racist. Why are they racist? Because when the players did some kind of, I don't know, protest or observance during the national anthem, the, the fans didn't like that. And I had somebody say to me, well, you know, f- fans of football, they just want football. They don't want to see uh, these things. But anyway, great place to be. Great team. Great uh, program. I mean, great um, uh, uh, ownership. There and a great city. And I think they'll be great. The team will be very good this year again. um, I don't really care about NFL football right now. I'm so sick of Kaepernick. I'm so sick of the drama. I kind of feel like I'm going to be more drawn to college football than ever, especially because the college football teams that are playing have had to fight their own people to get themselves on, onto the field to play, you know, between the, uh, between the, the media. Uh, there was a story out yesterday that the, uh, health director for Los Angeles said, uh, we'll have to keep everything shut down or whatever it was, maybe schools shut down until after the election. What? Why does the election matter? Well, we know because of politics. So there you have it. We'll see. But, um, uh, anyway, glad to see Kansas City doing well, the team and, uh, and also the city. Uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty neat place. However, today uh, we are spending more time, I hope, I hope you are too. It's been a long day already, uh, remembering uh, 9-11. You know, lots of commemorations, lots of different events. Um, I try to tell people one thing. I, I was born and raised in New Jersey, went to high school in Jersey City, used to be able to look down the street and you'd see on one street looking down, you'd see the Twin Towers and on the other, you'd see the Statue of Liberty. That's Jersey City down there, sort of on the bottoms, a tip of that, the New Jersey uh, right by across from the World Trade Centers. And uh, so when the trade centers fell and were attacked, I was actually living in Kansas City, so taking full circle. I happened to be in St. Louis those days because there was court going on. I, was, I graduated law school and was clerking for a judge. But I had a lot of friends and worked in New York. My sister had worked in the Twin Towers a few years before that. And so it was terrible, 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 terrible day. If you weren't alive or don't remember it, you wouldn't know. It just was a terrible day. It was a mix of anger and sadness and, and really disbelief. These were the Twin Towers. I mean, every movie had the New York skyline with the Twin Towers. Every time you went there, you saw it and you, you, you kind of, you'd go up there. I mean, I must have been up there, I don't know, 25 times in my life, been to the restaurants at the top of the world, all that stuff. So that it disbelief that it would fall, that the buildings would fall, uh, and sadness and all. So, but I have worked hard over the years to try to encourage people to use the phrase, we remember. We remember, not never forget, that's a negative, right? Never forget, you're going to never forget. Forget's already a bad word in a way. Never forget, well, we won't do what we were probably going to do. No, we remember. We remember. It's a part of our collective memory in this country, what happened. How those heroes, there was these here, unbelievable people, men mostly, but women too, that ran towards that fire, ran towards the thing. I mean, just unbelievable stories. And then just the sadness. Um, In a weird way, because the 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 not a weird way in a way that's very unique because the 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 murdered were civilians you just have these kind of uh stories that just tear you apart in terms of emotion you know one of one of them i was recently reading a, a woman who went to my college a few years ahead of me and she graduated maybe yeah a few years ahead of me and she graduated and She was working in Boston. She got on that plane that was headed to uh, Los Angeles from Boston, and she was gone. You know, she's gone. Left a little baby behind and a husband. I mean, just horrendous, horrendous sadness. So we remember. We remember. That's what I prefer to do. And I, you know, in my daily Periscope over at Eagle Ed Martin, I do a... um, I do the Pledge of Allegiance and I, I love the Pledge of Allegiance and I hope people will use the Pledge of Allegiance more frequently than they do now uh, I think it needs to make a comeback I was glad to see the president uh, was uh, was uh, was reciting the Pledge of Allegiance uh, today at the commemoration so it's good but um, uh, I, I, I always think of the we need to remember we remember and I certainly will uh, continue to remember and, and uh, on, on Fridays every Friday the organization of which I'm the head the Philish of the Eagles we host a prayer call it's very informal 20 minutes folks get together on the on the phone no not video conference or anything and just pray pray for 20 minutes and uh, today we had a lot of the prayers for those uh, folks that were affected by nine eleven. The certainly those that died but the many families that were left behind uh, just uh, such sadness and such a uh, challenge so we remember that all right let's get back to what you need to know and talk a little bit about this i, I kind of want to set this up for you because i feel like we're at the beginning of the we're at the middle of the beginning of the end of the campaign. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But we're at the beginning, we're at the middle of the beginning of this portion of the campaign for president. And what do I mean by that? Well, the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, used to tell, uh, used to talk about how important it had been for her to be a candidate for Congress—not uh, once, but twice. She didn't win, uh, but she learned how campaigns work, how candidates react, what things mean. And I'm a big believer: if you want to understand uh, politics, you have to understand campaigns, because every politician that's elected is a is a campaign, is a candidate first. And again, again and again. <clears throat> so when you learn about that, you learn lots of things and I, I was saying on the periscope if you were listening in today, I have a three question test when someone says they want to run for office. This is a personal test for the person. The first question they have to ask is, can you afford to do it? Meaning, can you adjust your job? Can your family undertake the the you know, commitment if you're running for this office? Do you have is there a, a requirement that you disclose uh financial information? Does your boss know? Can you afford to do it? The second one is can you afford to win if you run for a state rep and you have to be down in Jefferson City, Missouri or Richmond, Virginia for, you know, two months at a time, three months at a time, four days a week for weeks on end. Can you afford to do it? Does your job allow it? Does your family allow it? Can you afford to win? Not just, you know, not just can you afford to run, but can you afford to win? You got to play that out. And the last question is, can you win? You know, is the race doable? Is there, you know, is there a reason you think you can win? How do you do it? But inside campaigns. One of the things that you learn about candidates for office is how they fare as the candidate because it's easy to say you want to be in Congress or be governor or be a state rep or something. It's different to be a candidate. It's intense. It's a kind of, and inevitably there'll be crises, there'll be ups and downs, and you'll have to answer the basics. You know, can you articulate why you're running? Can you raise the money you need? Can you, you know, kind of connect with voters? But along the way, you also learn uh, about how the process, works. And one thing you have to do is be able to take criticism from your opponent. If you're going to succeed, you're going to get criticized. You got to have tough enough skin. It doesn't mean you don't care, but you have tough enough skin. You also have to be willing to go out and say what your criticism of your opponent is. And that's a big part of running. So at this point in a campaign, there's a little bit of a warm up there, but this is kind of what you need. This is how I know this. At this point in a campaign, eight weeks, less than eight weeks before the election, you are not if you're if you don't know what you're doing in campaigns, you think, oh, if I just get the right issue, the right, you know, uh, a kind of comment, the right attack, I'll knock him out. I'll win. I'll win going away. It almost never happens. Almost never happens. Even the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth, which people say sank uh, Kerry in his election against uh, Bush, was kind of a a thousand cuts also. And that's what I'm going to get to. When you're trying to win a race, you don't try for knockouts. You try to diminish your opponent in key areas that relate to voters in those areas. So, for example, you, you get someone to write an article in the Atlantic Monthly that says you missed, you say bad things about veterans and military. Cause you want to drive down the percentage points that the turnout for supporters for Trump on, on, um, among veterans. And my point here is we're in the death by a thousand cuts. Uh, period of the campaign. We began this a few weeks ago. We're in the middle of it. It's going to continue down to the end. So you got President Trump, his, his niece writes a tell all book, and then she leaks audio of her, of Trump's sister saying something bad about him. Then they've got the Atlantic Monthly, a coordinated effort to say this about the military. Then you got Woodward's book, which comes out another day later, and it says, oh, he was callous towards the people who are, have the COVID, the coronavirus. Then there was the Cohen book, uh, the former lawyer saying this and that. The point is, it's a thousand cuts. And the cumulative effect is hopefully, if you're opponent of Trump, to diminish his, uh, his, his margins and hurt him. Now, two things. One, this always happens in politics. But we've never seen a coordinated effort between an opponent, Biden, and the media and, and big tech also so strong. I mean, they're just merciless. And it really is powerful. I mean, I worry about it. I still think Trump is going to win because I think on the issues, he's stronger. I think the moment in history, he's stronger. I think Biden is weak. But I got to tell you, it is a cut up. It's cutting. And you're going to watch from here to the election. What you need to know is it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And here's what you can do. If you believe it, if you see it, I was talking to Joe Flynn, the brother of uh, Mike Flynn, General Mike Flynn, uh, earlier today, actually texting. And he wants. He loves to talk about veterans and VA, the Veterans Administration. Joe Flynn, he's a retired CEO, is uh, Mike Flynn's younger brother. And he knows that business in and out, the VA. And he loves to talk about it. And one of the things that you can beat back the cut, the death by a thousand cuts, is know the truth And talk about the successes. So if someone says, oh, Trump is not good enough for evangelicals and pro-life Catholics, say, wait a second, here's what he did, this, 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 and this. That's the power of pushing back, but man, alive, you just got to know right now, recognize the battle we're in. It's not just a normal campaign. It's head to head with the media, all the fake news, all on one side. Even Fox News covers the crisis of these hits on Trump so they can say it's not true, but you're still covering the crisis. You know, it's the, it's the, um, the Nancy Pelosi called it the wraparound smear where you smear someone and then you follow it up with stories. Then you go back to to it, And you basically engineer a smear. That's what she said. She, she admitted it a year ago, a year and a half ago. So I think she was complaining about someone doing it to her, but she said, that's how we do it. That's how we do it in the business. Pretty eye opening. But what you need to know is we're going to see death by a thousand cuts, That death by a thousand books. I wrote that in my uh, tweet, uh, tweet on Periscope. And we got to be ready to fight back. That's what you need to know. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got our friend Dr. Ted Malik. He'll be in to talk about his uh, new new essay. And then also, we'll talk with Selena Zito. So hang in there. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro
0: America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest is our old friend, uh, Ted Malik, Dr. Ted Malik. You can go to tedmalik.com. Make sure you spell Malik correctly, M A L L O C H. Ted Malik. Uh, welcome back, Ted. How are you?
0: I'm great, Ed. I'm 60 days out, and it looks like we're going to have a reelection. election.
1: Well, it sure looks like the things are going the right direction. Now, I'm looking at a piece that you sent me the draft of. It'll run tomorrow. Our listeners that are listening uh, this evening in uh, San Diego and listening all over, it'll be running on Saturday, September 12th. I'll put it up at americangreatness.com. The tentative title, maybe it'll be the same as How to Win Re-Election in the Final 60 Days. So what does the president need to do? I, I In my open today on the show, I said, he's in the middle of the death by a thousand cuts, more in this sense, death by a thousand books, You know, book after book saying, something horrendous, and it's kind of like, well, at a certain point, it's nonsense. At another level, it has a cumulative effect you have to be aware of when you're running campaigns. Well, what's the president have to do in the next 60 days, Ted?
0: Uh, well, I say, quoting Tony Robbins, who's a you know, brilliant uh, kind of uh, yeah. inspirational guru, knowing information is not the same as owning it and following through. Information without execution is poverty. So what the president has to do is to remember that we're all drowning in information, but we're starving for mm-hmm. wisdom. So what he needs to do and what his campaign needs to do is to stay wise. And I think they're on that track. You know, they've really done a great job, but the last sixty days, you know, a lot of things can happen.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that's a great quote by the way, and it's uh, perfect for the modern moment where people are again, we're talking with Doctor Ted Malik and his this piece that's up at American Greatness, but it's it's perfect in this moment because everybody knows everything. Everything's available. You can know everything, yeah. but it doesn't mean anything if you don't if you don't execute. So but how does the president really how Ted you're you've you've written books, you've communicated been writer in, in columns, uh you've been a public speaker all over the world. There's never been a consolidated effort. By the media against a party's candidate. Quite, it, it, maybe it's only that he smoked it out into public and, and we it was always like this and we never saw it. But boy, oh boy, you know, for about two weeks now, there's not been a single critical story of Joe Biden. It's just one after another and the same thing with big tech. I mean, in some ways, when you say information without execution is poverty, but the public is just getting information over and over about how terrible things are and this president is, doesn't it have an effect?
0: Well, certainly it has an effect. I think uh the people that measure sh- such things say that Trump gets 95% negative media. Uh but he's still going <laughs> to win the election. Think about that. If he yeah. he just got some positive stories, but I, I don't expect it from this crowd. Uh so fortunately, you know, 63 million Americans are not listening to those folks. They're not reading Woodward. They're not going to read some, you know, Democrat conspiracy theory, and they're not woke. Uh, what they're mad about is violence in the cities, um, the, the sense that, uh, the, you know, the virus needs to be under control, and the idea that we can have a V-shaped recovery. So what Trump needs to do, and I think he's doing it, is stay on message. What we have to do as Republicans is get more people motivated to turn out, and I mean to turn, this is going to be a turnout election, uh, so we've got to get those people to turn out. And you know, we we, we I think there's you know the place where we need them is uh, suburbia, women, blacks, Hispanic, Asians, and those famous Reagan Democrats. We know all those people to come out. And what I say in this piece is that American. National elections are always won in particular states. I mean, that's why we have Electoral College. Forty of those states are already determined, you know, just sealed and delivered. They go away. Some of them are ours. Many of them are firmly D. What we need to do is focus, like the laser, on the Electoral College where? Ten states. Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, I think we're pretty good in, actually. Michigan, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Maine, that one district, Minnesota and Arizona, that's what we have to do. Don't waste time on the coast. Don't get involved in any sidebar, you know, disputes or controversies. Stay focused.
1: Uh, We're talking with Ted Malik and his piece again is running at American Greatness tomorrow. It'll post. I'm looking at a draft now and I, I want to go back. I, I hear you on that. I think it's important, especially on the base. You know, uh, keeping people focused. You got to, you know, the late Phyllis Schlafly, who you knew well and she, she was like you. She said, you know, you don't, you don't win an election by persuading 51% that you're great. You get different groups that have key issues for them and you get them motivated and you got to keep the, got to keep the um, pro lifers understanding what's at stake. You got to keep all these basings, But you say something else in your piece. at the end, you say, stay optimistic, which is right. And he does that. But you also say, say clearly what we're against. If you, As you said in, earlier in the piece, you say, look, law and order is what we're for. The economy for everyone is what we're for. But say what we're against. Tell me what you mean there.
0: Yeah, You don't have to go negative. Just lay it out. And uh, I think against Joe Biden, this is really very easy because all these radical, I mean, really, cultural Marxists have taken over that party. So... You know, it's pretty easy for Trump. I quote uh, Machiavelli in The Prince, if I might on air just requote him. A prince is despised if he's considered changeable, foolish, weak, mean, and uncertain. A prince should avoid these characteristics. In his actions, he should try to show greatness, courage, seriousness, and strength. Now, fortunately, our president has those last things, and he needs to show them.
1: Uh, we're talking with uh, Ted Malekin in his piece he finishes uh, finishes with a uh, a quote uh, uh, or related it uh, of uh, uh, the quote the famous Ben Franklin quote about a Republican if we, if we can keep it but he's uh, Franklin's responding to someone asking what'd you do I'm reminded of another Ben Franklin uh, quote that's a, a, a treat, a, a, a attributed to him uh, Ted where he says that the, he says I've been looking I've often been looking uh, at that seat behind the president this is he's referring to George Washington and the chair at the federal convention yeah, the and, chair, and, and, and Franklin is saying rising or setting sun. Right. Without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting setting sun.
0: (laughs) You've got the the point perfectly. And you could go to, and I'm from Philadelphia, so this is important to me. You go to Independence Hall, you can see that chair. The Democrats see it as a setting sun. For President Trump and us, that is still a rising sun.
1: Well, and, and the argument, what I was going to say, too, is I want to see what you think of this. I think that um, for all the darkness that Biden is wanting to show and his campaign and the left, that actually we're not on the we're not on the cusp of a, of a dark period. We're on the cusp of a golden age, because when you when you see the things changing in the ways they are for everywhere, it's an extraordinary opportunity. Yes. I think it really is a rising sun. I, I think we're at, I think we're on the cusp of a golden age that, we, that people don't realize because they think, oh, my gosh, the media is so bad and so much negativity. What do you think of that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and that's why I, I don't listen to the media, except, you know, when I have to go on it or have to criticize it, uh, there's so much happening in the world, but particularly in America, enterprising, technology, you know, markets, trade. Uh, I mean, we really need to, in my view, bring back the cultural side and rebirth faith and family. And these civic institutions that are so critical to American history, Mm -hmm. we can't let the left, particularly the anarchic left, overrun America
1: all right now one last we're talking with ted malik uh, and ted's uh, new piece is out on uh, american greatness later tonight early tomorrow saturday the 12th of september i'll put it up but it's titled how to win Reelection in the final 60 days tell me though ted about the world now you're you're based in london right now you've lived all over is the world watching this election and th- I, I know they are but are they watching it are they are some of them really hoping he loses I and mean, when, when he says that about china or merkel do they really want trump to lose is that does that feel right to you
0: Oh, absolutely! Uh, Trump is detested in the European Union, most clearly in China, where we, you know, we've done things that no one has uh, had the courage to have done before. Uh, I think Boris Johnson, uh, meanwhile, he kind of plays, a, you know, a straight and narrow. He's very much in favor of Trump. There are people around the world, in Brazil and Italy and elsewhere, who, and Hungary, you know, we can go down the list, who are very positive. Even in the Middle East now, I mean, Trump could end up getting two Nobel Prizes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's uh, right. But, uh, yeah, there there are Trump haters, believe me, on the left, everywhere in the world.
1: Yep. Well, and, and uh, we're talking with Ted Malik and he just referred to the fact that the president was nominated for a second Nobel Peace Prize, uh, having now brokered another peace deal with in the Middle East. And again, if it were any other president in any other moment in history, I think they'd be doing multi-hour specials on how we're, you know, the blessed are the peacemakers. And because it's the this president, they can't they can't bring themselves to do it. It's extraordinary I, yeah, to watch.
0: they, could, they can't. Well, no, you won't even see it mentioned on CNN. And I, I think your yeah. viewers are particularly interested, as am I. Uh, he put out a list of 20 names, all strict constructions, yeah. some people yep. you and I yep. know well, three senators yep. I love amongst them, who said, I will put one or more of these people on the Supreme Court, given the chance. This alone is the reason to reelect Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. All right. Ted Malik, i got to run. I'm out of time. Ted Malik again, tedmalik.com I'll put the piece up. Thanks, Ted, and we'll talk. I'll take a quick break. We'll hey, be right hey. back. Ed Martin here on the Pro... Please. Yep, thank you, Ted. Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. The Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. And our old friend Selena Zito is with us. Go to selenazito.com and sign up there for her updates. Get all of her stories. She's, uh, she's published everywhere now. New York Post, uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Examiner. And I'm referring Selena back because, of course, it's September 11th and, and you're, um, well, you're reporting on it as a journalist of your expertise and experience. You had a lot to report. But of course, there was, uh, one of the tragedies in this was the plane, uh, that went down on September 11th in uh in southwestern pennsylvania a town called shanksville um and uh flight 93 and you wrote a piece in 2016 which i keep in my in my selena zito file and i have it up now and it's uh from the i guess you the tribune live when you wrote there but but um anyway welcome back selena and what do you think of on september 11th what's what's your mindset on a day like today
2: well, I mean, I I think it's it's a time to be reflective and uh, to maybe put aside, even if for the day, the things that not just politics, but the things in life in, in our life that. That, that we find annoying or get on our nerves or we're not getting our way about. And, and, and think about the men and women, uh, in particular on Flight 93, who, uh, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, committed an act of heroism by taking help getting that plane down, I think, probably wasn't their intent they probably wanted to just take over the cockpit we'll never know the full answer on right. that um, but you know that they wanted to protect the capital they understood where this plane was heading they understood the emotional and physical scarring that it was that would have happened had the US Capitol had been taken down by an airplane and so I think it's important to to set aside or maybe be a little more reflective about how we get annoyed over uh, little things <laughs> and think right. about people who rise to the occasion. On that day, I was working uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I was in the middle. The Heinz field had not, oh, not opened yet, and I was in the middle of the field working with someone who also happened to be a pilot in his private life. And a plane went overhead of us, and he said, "Huh, that's too low, and that's the wrong flight pattern." And that's all he said. It was, you know, hours later when the two of us put together what happened, and a week later it was confirmed that Flight 93 had passed directly over um, the city of Pittsburgh, and so wow. we had we had seen that moment. And so, and, and even a week later, um, I had taken my children to a local, uh, ski resort called Seven Springs. And no, it wasn't skiing. It was actually Fall Festival. And we had went there just for the weekend. And we sat down, as soon as we got there, we sat down in, in the lobby just to get our, our stuff together. And we noticed that everyone there was dressed in black and everyone and there was a ton of secret service and i went and asked the you know the concierge or whatever you call him and he said oh yeah all the families from flight 93 are here today and we just got up wow
1: Wow. Wow. That's something now. I can't resist this. You I didn't know you played for the the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, I know you're a no, great athlete and all, but I you, you uh, them. Uh, I worked for them. Uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't I couldn't resist. I know it's supposed to be a serious moment, but I I had to jump in. I just the image of you playing football for the Steelers is too good. Um okay, uh, let me ask you about let me ask you about Shanksville. Shanksville. Is it there's an S is there an S in there Shanksville. Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. This this poor town in a way gets put on the map because of just this horrendous death there what's it, it, it you know if if you go to 9 if you go to the towers there's a monument if you go past the pentagon you see the the sort of sculpture is shanksville uh is it, it, it is it kind of forgotten already i mean i know everybody remembers the name and, and flight 93 but what's it like oh no shanksville uh, for years
2: well shanksville before the flight was a farming slash coal mining town, right? Um, okay. It was just you know yep. these, these sort of low rolling Appalachian hills, um, but these, you know for years, for at least good ten years, there was a makeshift. Uh, memorial there, that people who drove by, I mean, this is like a pilgrimage to go to Somerset County. It's only Mm -hmm. 50 miles from Pittsburgh. And, And people put up flags, and they left their soccer shirts and rosary beads. It was really powerful and you know, um, symbolic outpouring of love from the American people. Uh, but um, uh, a, a few years ago, the, it became a national park, was de- designated as a national park, and they really, I was very skeptical, but they did an amazing job uh, of, hmm. of constructing a, a true homage, to the men and women that were on flight 93 and you can you know you it, it, and it's also very peaceful uh and, and, and be reflective of what that area is like um but it it also you can't go there without a drive I the mm. the tapes yeah. play back and forth from flight 93 of the people who made phone calls to their family who had conversations yeah. with their family is a very powerful place and it's not for, mm. it's right along route 30 uh, not far from you know an hour or so from Gettysburg so you have these two places of hallowed ground right on the same road
1: yeah. We're talking with Selena Zito and uh, SelenaZito.com. Go there and, sh- and sign up, and she'll send an email to you whenever she's writing different places. Very helpful. And there's lots of her writing there. And of course, um, she's she's got uh, uh, her best selling book, too. Um, Selena, I want to, because I can't resist, you know, you're, we're talking about Shanksville and Pennsylvania. Day like today, everybody pauses, right? Every, uh, politics pauses, yeah. so it's kind of quiet. Um, and yet. I, I, you know, after I it, I was uh, I was living in Missouri, but I grew up in New Jersey. I could see the towers from my high school. I mean, we had all had friends from high school and college that were in the towers that died. And I mean, well, my brother went, fought the wars and all. So it's all, it's hard not to be wrapped up in, in the emotion of it. Um, but it was a weird kind of thing, right? Afterwards, we all just knew it was so baffling. It was so surprising, so tragic. We were going to figure it out. And we kind of, it didn't matter. We just were going to figure it out. And we you fought wars and all, we can go back and think of why and talk. Right now, the the idea of law and order, for example, like that, that people are saying, man, I don't like the way things are going. It's very different, right? I mean, it's a very different kind of feeling. It's almost like nobody disputed that we had to do something about what happened. There was no, you could debate what you do, but you knew you're going to do something. Now it seems like on, on, say, the law and order in the cities, there's not, you can't get agreement on what you see, let alone what to do.
2: Yeah, and and, you know, I haven't not come to a conclusion on this, but I often wonder. uh, I don't think 9 11 broke us, uh, but I think 9 11 fractured us. Uh, You know, a lot of people say Osama bin Laden didn't succeed. But if you look incrementally at how much we have fractured from that day, again, it's incremental, it's not every day. It's not it wasn't right, like right. Boom, <clears throat> we're against each other, right. but it has successfully become that, and you have to wonder what role did that play in 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 mm-hmm. us fracturing? What role did you know um, the, the 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 eventual protests against the wars um have in that? what is what eventually in the economic downturn? Eventually um, contributed to that, you know, and also what role did social media, uh, which was just in its infancy in in on two, in 2011, um, I mean 2001, but still, you know, all of a sudden there were keyboard keyboard warriors who could say whatever they want, and that eventually escalated to Twitter and to Facebook, and and so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of granular moments that made that have led to us fracturing, and I think that 9/11 was a big contributor.
1: Yeah, uh, we have one. I have one minute left. So I'll, it's always loaded when you when interviewer does this. But here's the thing. You know, remember Ben Franklin at the Constitutional at the convention? He says to Washington, looking at his chair, he said, I was looking at the chair. And I thought, you know, is that sun on the chair setting or rising? And now I think it's rising right now. Part of me wants to say it's not we're not going into darkness. We're going into a, the sun's rising. We're going into a new age, a golden age. It, do you feel that optimism or are you more uncertain?
2: No, no, no. I I think there's definitely an optimism. I I, I think that when you are with people and the resilience of people and the things that they have done just to battle through this COVID on a very local level, I, I, I... I see that optimism and I see that grit every day. Just do not go yeah. on Twitter because that will show you
1: the the, the dark. <laughs> you're right. All right, I gotta. Hey, I gotta go. I gotta go. SelinaZito.com. Go to SelinaZito.com. Don't go on Twitter. Ed Martin. I'll be right back. It's the Pro America Report. This is the Pro America Report
0: on the Answer, San Diego.
1: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than seventy years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. No matter how much the left likes to talk about being pro-woman, they can't seem to make real policy advances for women in our nation. A truly pro-woman policy would be to allow women to carry firearms for their self-defense from sea to shining sea. Unfortunately, that policy wouldn't fit in with the liberal narrative, so they never back something like that. Another great policy for women would be to crack down on the pornography industry, which works hand-in-hand with the human trafficking industry on American soil. Once again, you can't expect Democrats to vote against something like pornography because it would be against their values. Are you seeing a pattern here? Liberals openly fight against pro-women policy supported by the Trump administration. The Department of Housing and Urban Development released a proposed rule to protect women and girls in homeless shelters, The rule would allow shelters to determine shelter placement based on biological sex rather than so-called gender identity. In case you aren't up to date on all the liberal jargon, let me break it down for you this way. Under the current rule put in place by President Obama, women's homeless shelters receiving HUD money cannot turn away a man as long as he says he feels like a woman. Even if a woman runs to a battered woman's shelter after escaping an abusive relationship, she might be forced to share sleeping and bathing quarters with a biological man. All the Trump administration rule change would do is give shelters the option to tell men that they have to go to a homeless shelter for men. The ACLU, the Washington Post, Vox, and other bastions of liberalism are fighting against the rule change, but that only reveals how anti-woman these groups really are. No matter how much lip service they give to the feminist movement, they can't honestly call themselves pro-woman if they want to force female victims of abuse to share a bedroom with male strangers. There's nothing empowering about that. It's cruel, it's heartless, and totally in line with the leftist agenda. Cut through the liberal jargon. Conservatives are the ones who are authentically pro-woman. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. You've seen the desperation of women's marches, the disgrace of Planned Parenthood, the rise of savvy young conservative women. Radical feminism is heading down a dead-end road. Voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here on the Pro America Report, We've got to wrap things up right now. We've got a few um, odds and ends to wrap up, and let me uh, finish. Though I do want to tell you about this very interesting story. Again, with so many, <clears throat> so many things happening, it's hard to keep up with it. But um, and and this is just one I want to highlight for you. The the. Um, there was a um, there was a tweet that I followed uh, today, and I I had to go through and follow excuse me follow through on the details of it because I wasn't quite sure uh, what it all meant. But here was the tweet. It was from Ian Bremmer. Ian Bremmer is a kind of liberal guy, a uh, you know globalist guy. But he says the tweet is foreign student levels to U.S. falling off a cliff, painful to see. And then there is published a U.S. State Department. Um, a uh, State Department analysis, or excuse me, the State Department data on the decline and collapse of F-1 student visas issued in a fiscal year. And so here's the deal. Uh, In 2015, it looks like, the high was almost 700,000 issued in a year. And now it's down below 200,000 in 2020. Now, Part of the reason is, of course, if you're a foreign student, would you come to America right now? There's quite a bit going on. You might not want to do that. But part of the reason is we've been scrutinizing them more. And there's a reason. I mean, you know, honestly, America first means, you know, I I think it's wonderful that there's some talented people in the world and we want to attract their brains and their talent to be a part of our world. But I don't know if we want them to take the places in our universities. And the reason why often that happens is because they pay full freight and full tuition. If you're a Chinese student coming from the Chinese regime, you're in the communist ruling class and you have two things. Tons of money and tons of influence about getting picked to go overseas. They're not going out into the villages in uh, in rural China and finding the smartest kids. They might sometimes do that. But mostly the people they're sending to Harvard and to USC and to uh, that's, a, that's an inside joke to big schools all over the country. And and the schools are always charging Big tuition. I remember this. In, in Missouri, uh, the University of Central Missouri, which is over in Warrensburg, Missouri, they have an extraordinary number of uh, Kuwaiti students, maybe 30 Kuwaiti students. And I remember asking someone, what's the deal with that? And the answer is that they pay full freight. And somewhere along the way, I think it's Kuwaiti, by the way, it's one of those countries in the Arab, the, the, Gulf, the Gulf countries, and they pay cash. And the schools really, really like that full, full cash and they kick in. So but here's the thing, I think the, the reality is the reality is that I believe that it's better for us to be tighter with those visas and more uh, and make it more competitive for foreigners rather than just using it as a way to uh, to bring tuition dollars. in. And let me be clear, who screams about it is every university of every size. They want more and more of those folks. They don't have to give them financial aid. They don't have to cover any of their costs. They just pay cash, and they're in. It's a cash cow. I think that's a really good sign. And more importantly, if somebody's going to yell about it complaining, we're at least going to have a discussion about it. And that's even more important, because most Americans didn't know that 700,000 students were from foreign nations were filling up our schools. They didn't know it. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, uh, to our great technical director, Noah. Also to Joanna for helping book the show. Go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Sign up there to get the daily wink and also to uh, see all these great interviews. Selena Zito, uh, uh, Dr. Ted Malik, all the rest, and uh, check all that out. All right, we'll be back on Monday night. Looking forward to it. Uh, talk to you soon. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.